from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in and making Washington Watch part of your day. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, the head of the World Health Organization is warning that the global pandemic accord, due to be finalized in May, could be in trouble because of fake news. The IMB and the IHR working group are operating amid a torrent of fake news, lies, and conspiracy theories. We cannot allow this historic agreement, this milestone in global health, to be sabotaged by those who spread lies, either deliberately or unknowingly. That was the WHO Secretary General Tedros Ghebreyesus. Uh, talking about their global power grab that is to be finalized in May. It's, it's not fake news, friends. It's facts. It's facts. It is uh, facts. The, these are the facts. And uh, freedom-loving Americans know it. And they, they don't want us to know that. We're going to talk with New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith, who has led an effort this week to keep the WHO from partnering with an organization whose goal is to promote abortion worldwide. And of course, it would be with your tax dollars. Congressman Chris Smith joins us in just a moment. Speaking of abortion, the Biden team is not hiding their objective in the 2024 election. Literally, this issue will be ultimately determined about whether women have this freedom or not um, because of elections, because of what will result from elections. We want to go back to the law of the land being Roe. And um, I think that elections matter. That, of course, was Vice President Kakala Harris with Katie Kirk. They are falsely accusing Republicans of trying to eliminate abortion throughout the entire country when they, when they want to eliminate all pro-life laws in every state, every pro-life, pro-life law, whether it's parental notification, uh, whether it's informed consent, that's what they're attempting to do. We're going to talk about it. It now looks like the long-awaited bipartisan agreement in the Senate to secure the southern border and fund the war in Ukraine is unlikely to happen. What does that mean for border security and the supplemental funding for the wars in Ukraine and Israel? Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson will join us later. And uh, speaking of the border, could a constitutional showdown between Texas and the Biden administration be in the making. Texas has the constitutional authority to do exactly what we're doing because the authors of the Constitution, they knew there would be times when the federal government does not do its job and states have a right of self-defense. That was Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who is defending Texas's constitutional right and obligation to defend the state against an invasion since the Biden administration will not. We're going to get the latest from the Texas Land Commissioner, Don Buckingham, who has been a part of this effort in Texas. And we are regularly seeing new and unprecedented strains on our constitutional republic. And I think it's because Marxist ideology is incompatible with the framework of our republic. Ken Klukowski, former senior counsel in the civil division of the U.S. Department of Justice and a former White House attorney, And now Breitbart News senior legal contributor joins me to break down the constitutional issues that are at the center of the showdown in Texas and where this legal and political fight may lead. The website, TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you and action items. 
Our word for today comes from Job 16, where Job replies to his friends who are of little comfort to him in his time of trial. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do if your souls were in my soul's place. I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you, but... I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Job says, if I were in your shoes, I would do a better job of comforting you. Those who have been broken and healed have a greater understanding of what is needed in a time of crisis. It's always better to listen than talk. I've never heard of anyone being accused of listening too much. And when we do speak, it should not be in the spirit of debate, but with a redemptive heart. Often, it's better to ask questions and make declarative statements. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. By the way, I invite you to join me and thousands of other Christians across the nation for the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. Next Wednesday, January the 30th, it'll, be, it'll begin at 7.30 Eastern Time, and uh, you can join us. Now, it is sold out. That's at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., but you can join online. Text PRAYER, the word PRAYER, to 67742. That's PRAYER to 67742, and I'll tell you how you can be a part of it. All right, President Biden and the Democrats are building their 2024 campaign on abortion. Abortion on demand until birth for the entire nation. And as I said earlier this week, no matter the question for the Biden team, the answer is abortion. Joining me now to discuss this and much more, Congressman Chris Smith. He is the senior member on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. He is also the co-chair of the Congressional Pro-Life Caucus. He represents the 4th Congressional District of New Jersey. Congressman Smith, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. So great to be with you, Tony. Thank you for your great work. It's, it's amazing. I, I want to start with President Biden is all in on campaigning on his commitment to abortion. I mean, he can't run on his record, so this is his central theme. Is this where the American people are? No, absolutely not. Matter of fact, the most recent Marist poll couldn't be clearer that by a margin of two to one, people want restrictions on abortion. Uh, there's a great deal of support for legislation to ensure that taxpayers do not fund abortion, and yet Joe Biden, the abortion president, has integrated abortion into every single policy uh, that he's able to do by executive order. Uh, and he's trying to do legislatively abortion until the moment of birth. Can you imagine that, Tony? All nine months of pregnancy, uh, the children would have no protection whatsoever. And the Democrats have already passed that bill twice in the House of Representatives until we took over as Republicans. But if they get it back... Uh, House, Senate, and the White House will ensure that these babies are utterly killed by dismemberment, beheading, or by chemical poisoning, or that pill which actually starves the baby to death. I mean, these are gruesome acts that need to be called out, uh, and yet you have a president who just talks in, in slogan, uh, talks you know about reproductive rights. Uh, there's no right to decimate the life of an unborn child. And then, as we saw at the most recent March for Life, uh, you know, finally highlighting, and they did a wonderful job, uh, the pregnancy care centers or pregnancy resource centers, as they're often called, 2,700 of them provide great support and love and compassion and no judgments to the women uh, and help them through their pregnancies 
if they are contemplating an abortion. So um, that's where the emphasis should be on nonviolent alternatives like pregnancy uh, care centers, coupled with a, a, an appreciation at a time when we know more about the unborn child than ever in the history of mankind uh, and humankind. I mean, ultrasound has shattered the myth that somehow there's no baby there. And most women, when they do say, see that ultrasound imaging, even if they're thinking of an abortion, uh, so often will say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm already a mother and I'm already going to have a child. Right. Uh, you know, I'm with child. It's not a matter of it happens during the birth process. I, I'm hoping that in this election, the 2024 election, uh, juxtaposed to 2022, that Republicans won't, present company excluded from this comment because you've always talked about it. You've championed the life of the unborn, the protection of the unborn since you came to Congress. In fact, that's why you came to Congress. Uh, But I'm hoping that Republicans will talk about protecting the unborn child while the Democrats talk about abortion. But I want to go back to something you said because I want to set the record straight for our viewers and our listeners. Nancy Pelosi was on uh, MSNBC the other night, and I'm going to play this clip in just a moment, clip 13. She was talking about Republicans wanting to uh, eliminate abortion, access to abortion all across the country. As you pointed out, it's the Democrats that have actually put forward a bill that would eliminate all pro-life laws all across the nation. Play clip 13. The fact is they have to know what it means in their lives, that they're no longer going to have affordable care, that there will a national ban on access to an abortion. So the election's about freedom. Your response? Well, freedom, there's no freedom to butcher uh, a child. There's no freedom to behead a child. And every one of the surgical abortions behead the child. And the later that child is in his or her gestational age, uh, the more gruesome it actually is to behold, although it's gruesome at any time. Uh, So, and about half of the abortions now are being done with a pill that actually starves the baby to death. I mean, I'm all for world hunger and alleviating, you know, hunger here at home. Uh, why are we going to starve a child and take their nutrition away to the point where they actually die? Right. So, you know, they talk in, in euphemisms. Uh, this is Orwellian doublespeak on the part yes. of the other side. Yes. They do it all the time. And yes. so our people, to your point on the original comment, pro-lifers need to assert with love and compassion uh, respect for both mother and baby yes. and to do it consistently. Never right. run from this. Right. We are, we're going to win this. And the polls show that when we articulate a message of life, people rally around us. Right. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be here having this conversation yeah. if that approach did not work. That's what led to exactly. the overturn of Roe. We just need to keep doing what we've been doing for 50 years. Uh, exactly. I, I want to very quickly go to this issue of the Biden administration. We're looking at this domestically, but in their foreign policy, they're pushing this consistently. And this week, uh, you uh, wrote a letter to the World Health Organization because they are looking at partnering with a abortion group that would actually use our tax dollars, again, to promote abortion globally. Yeah, one of the things that Tedros, who's the director general, got his job from the Chinese Communist Party, he runs the World Health Organization. I've known him for 30 years. Uh, he's, he's used to tell me how pro-life he was. He is absolutely pro-abortion. So he's been entering into these contracts, MOUs, uh, with people, IPPF, International Planned Parenthood Federation, already has one. There's a group of lawmakers so-called, in the um, European Union that go everywhere, and now they have the imprimatur of, of uh, the World Health Organization 
to crusade for abortion on demand. And, you know, I went through, there's a document put out by the World Health Organization, uh, and it's all about the model legislation that they want for every country. No gestational limits, just like Biden's doing and the Democrats, abortion till birth. No ability to say no, right of conscience. They say that is a barrier to access to abortion. And then they have no mandatory waiting periods. Uh, you know, very often when there's a parental notification or a waiting period or some other small but necessary uh, protection, women rethink it and they come to a different conclusion. Uh, they want none of that. Uh, and that's what they're pushing. That's the World Health Organization. So the latest, and they may be doing this as recently or as earlier as a few days, they want to partner with the uh, Center for Reproductive Rights which is one of the most nefarious pro-abortion, aggressively pro-abortion groups on the face of the earth. They try to change laws. That's their job. Planned Parenthood changes laws, but they also do abortions. This group brings through case law, uh, through, through lobbying of health ministries, but also of legislators, uh, all these strategies so that the unborn child will be absolutely without protections in every country in the world. Back in 2003, I put into the congressional record uh, a contemporaneous uh, several-day notes of the of, um, Center of Reproductive Rights, at which they said we have to get a little dirtier uh, in what we're doing uh, because they deceive. And right. it, it, it's shocking that WHO, but not surprising well, anyway, wants to partner with them. Right. Yeah, with the global power grab that's underway, I mean, not, not surprising, and this would be pushing abortion worldwide. Chris, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to see you. Great to see you, Tony. Thank you so much. All right, folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, the showdown in Texas between Governor Abbott and President Biden. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As the Biden administration's border crisis continues, Texas Governor Greg Abbott doubled down on his state's right to defend its border. Now, this follows a Supreme Court decision allowing the Border Patrol to cut the razor wire that Texas placed along its border with Mexico. Now, given that the border crisis will remain a top political issue through the 2024 presidential campaign, what can we expect as the legal and political standoff between Texas and the Biden administration escalates? Joining us now to uh, to discuss this and what's happening on the ground, the land commissioner for Texas, Dr. Don Buckingham. Uh, commissioner Buckingham, welcome to the program. Good to see you. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be on with you today. So lay out for us. I, I saw the governor making a statement yesterday that he has a constitutional obligation uh, and a right to protect the border of Texas because there's an invasion. It does not appear that the governor's backing down. No, I don't think you're going to see anyone in Texas backing down except a couple of our very liberal Democrat elected officials who are already joining the side of the Biden administration, as one would expect, because they sing as a choir. But Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution is very clear. If we are under invasion, we don't have to ask anyone to protect our border. And, uh, and since the federal government and the Biden administration is completely abdicating its responsibility to, defect, to, pr- to protect our border, then we're just going to jump in and do what we have to do. So with the federal agents, they're cutting the border wire. How's that playing out on the ground? Well, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about the park in question. This is a park that also happens to have a golf course in it. It's a city park. The golf course happens to be where the local golf team practices every day. And really, the local citizens had no access to this park because of the flood of migrants and the some of them very dangerous, some of them not. But the staging area that the feds were using it for to to process those migrants. So what Texas did is just say, hey, this is an unsafe, also an unsafe part of the river where the risk of drowning is very high. We want to take this off of the path of our migrants, and so we're going to reinforce it with the wire. We're going to make it safe for the local citizens to access that park. And so now what we're doing is we're just going to do everything we can for that complete operational control of the border. I'm disappointed in the Supreme Court's decision. Realize this is a temporary move about the injunction, and we're going to continue to fight. So just to be very clear here, Texas is taking steps to protect its citizens. I mean, this is this is a as you just described there, this is a 
a hazard for the public in some cases. People coming across the border, you don't know who's coming across. You don't know what they're coming across for. So the citizens that live there, do they not have a right to expect the government to protect them? You would think so, right? The citizens, that's what government is for, is to protect you against the evil intentions of your neighbors. And so that is exactly what we're doing. We're being sure that these kids can practice golf in a safe place. We're taking access to a dangerous part of the river where loss of life is much more likely. We're trying to take that off of the paths of the migrants coming across. And so that's all that Texas is trying to do. And the federal government is actually blocking that. Um, you know, when you look at the hundreds of miles of border that we have, the agents can't be everywhere. So the barriers, the wire, the walls, what they do is they channel people who are coming across into a certain area so that they can be accessed by law enforcement and border patrol. So, Dr. Buckingham, let me ask you this question. There are those, and right now it's just kind of saber rattling, but saying that Joe Biden, President Biden, should federalize National Guard troops there in Texas. What happens if if he makes that move? Well, he'll have 22,000 people that he gets to pay for, which is a big chunk of money. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, he, he has the ability to do that, unfortunately. But that being said, it would be an incredibly foolish move. You would move thousands of soldiers off the border who are protecting our border. I've heard estimates it's upwards of 80% of the bodies on the border trying to keep our border safe. Um, you know, let him fight that fight in the election year and win the votes and hearts and minds of people. He's not going to do it. Our border communities are amazing. They're gorgeous. The people who live there are wonderful people. They are being hurt by Biden's decisions every single day. They're completely overwhelmed by this massive migration that's coming across. And I think it's going to turn the tables. Speak to that for just a moment. The, the, the financial burden the infrastructure that is being impacted by this uncontrolled migration? You're talking about six million people over the last several years. That is more than the single population of over 33 states. These folks come in. They're given a court date at this point. We're booking six years out. They're giving full access to um, all of our Medicaid benefits, all those types of things. My understanding is they also get cell phones. They're not allowed to work legally. They are completely overwhelming the healthcare systems, the schools. Um, we're robbing them of their American dreams. And I keep trying to remind everybody, these are not just free people coming to a better life. They are completely enslaved by the cartels and the most violent gangs in our country. And they are basically beholden to sell drugs, sell their bodies, do terrible things. It is the largest expansion of slavery that this world has ever seen, and we just shouldn't be standing for it. So, so Commissioner, then if I follow that along, the, the, the logical conclusion would be that this enslavement, this modern-day slavery, is being facilitated by the policies of the Biden administration by refusing to enforce the law, not only protect the Texas citizens, the Texas of other border, the, the citizens of other st border states, but also the migrants that are coming to this country. Well, look at the New Hampshire primary we just saw. The top issue in New Hampshire was border security. It doesn't get much farther away from our southern border than New Hampshire. So even people in the Northeast are understanding and seeing what a problem this is and the consequences of it. So Absolutely. It should be an issue. We should get complete operational control of the border. We want 
legal immigration. We are a country of immigrants ourselves. A million of us couldn't walk across the border into Mexico without some significant issues. And so we just need to realize we have a, a system of immigration that could use some improvements, but we want people to come here legally and have access to the American dream. Absolutely, and be assimilated into the American society the right way. Commissioner, thanks so much for joining us and giving us an uh, update. Obviously, a lot of people very, very interested in what's happening in Texas. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. God bless you. All right. Commissioner Buckingham, land commissioner there in the state of Texas. All right, you can uh, weigh in. The House is going to be back next week, and this is going to be an issue. Text the word BORDER to 67742. That's the word BORDER to 67742, and we're going to deliver... A petition to the House leadership encouraging them to stand strong and support our southern border and those that are working to protect it. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at the constitutional issues at question here with Ken Kulkowski. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. All right. Text BORDER to 67742. That's BORDER to 67742 to sign the petition to the House leadership. All right. The escalating situation between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the Biden administration regarding this crisis at the Texas-Mexico border raises questions straight from a constitutional law book. As Governor Abbott said in a statement yesterday, he believes that Texas has constitutional authority that supersedes federal statutes at the border. News pundits continue to assert that Texas has defied a Supreme Court order. But is that really the case? 
Joining me now to uh, shed some light on these legal issues is Ken Klukowski, a former senior counsel in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and former special counsel in the White House's Office of Management and Budget. And uh, he has also litigated constitutional cases in the U.S. Supreme Court. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Tony. Thank you. So very quickly, um, how did we get here? The the, the uh, text won an appeal to the Fifth Circuit that said that they could protect this wire. That went up to the Supreme Court this week, and the court refused to to uh, allow that to stay in place until the full litigation is done. And that's what brought us to this current point of crisis. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, that's correct, Tony. The uh, it's uh, in the lawsuit uh, as it was going up on appeal. Uh, Texas asked for an injunction pending appeal, which is just a temporary measure. They're saying, you know, we need help now, even while this case is proceeding. Uh, the Fifth Circuit, in an opinion, a great opinion written by Judge Kyle Duncan, uh, explained why Texas was on the right side of the law and uh, thus granted this injunction. Then uh, President Biden's Solicitor General, Elizabeth Preliger, uh, petitioned this, applied to the Supreme Court to issue an emergency stay pending appeal. And by a five to four vote, uh, the Supreme Court, surprising many people, surprising me, uh, granted that stay, which essentially took that temporary injunction from the Fifth Circuit and put it on the shelf so that Border Patrol agents could go back to carrying out their orders, which polling shows they do not want to carry out, but the orders they're getting from Washington to actually cut through this razor wire and, and removing it from the border. Okay, so Governor Abbott says, I don't care. Uh, the Constitution gives me the right, if the federal government is not protecting us against an invasion, for me to do it. And so he is moving forward. Is that what we have? Uh, that's right. And there there are, with with a couple add-ons, first of all, there are those saying, oh, Texas is defying the Supreme Court. No, they're not. Uh, right now, Border Patrol agents are free to be cutting the, the fence, and Texas uh, personnel are free to be setting it back up. So it's Texas is not under a court order here. Uh, so they can continue to try and secure the border, ironically, doing the Border Patrol's job. They are carrying out the mission of the Border Patrol, which, again, polling shows that Border Patrol agents wish they were being able to do right now. But that's right. You have some people setting up the wire while you have other people cutting through the wire. So it's just total chaos while this lawsuit continues. So are we on the path to a constitutional showdown between Texas and the Biden administration? Uh, ultimately, it should end up at the Supreme Court on the merits. And that is because th this is like a belt and suspenders approach to securing the border. OK, uh, is in terms of actual immigration policy, only the federal government has that under the Constitution. But among the powers that are reserved to them, uh, states have the authority to secure the property within uh, each of them, to protect their citizens, uh, to, to set up and enforce a criminal code. So just like the federal government could be securing the border, if they refuse to, then as people come into Texas and in doing so are committing illegal acts, well, then Texas law enforcement 
has constitutional authority to then enforce Texas law. Are we going to see more of this conflict between the states and the federal government when you have this ideological divide where you've got an administration pursuing, really in many ways, Marxist ideology with a a constitutional republic? It just doesn't seem like it works. Well, at least while the current president uh, is in office, that unfortunately appears to be the case. Now, uh, if uh, if if it looks like President Trump is going to be the Republican nominee for president. Uh, if he defeats President Biden, I, I think you would have a fundamentally different uh, border policy uh, at that point. Uh, and and one where I think Texas and the federal government would then be uh, sailing in the same direction. Uh, very quickly, last question for you, Ken. We're up against a break. But this is what the founders envisioned as a check and balance, is it not? States being able to enforce the law if the federal government does not? Uh, That's right. Under our Constitution, we have two separate sovereignties. You have the federal government and state governments. They are co-equal sovereigns. One doesn't override the other. The Constitution assigns to each one their own specific responsibilities. And in this case, both levels, federal and state, have powers that that level of government can use that has the effect of securing the border and protecting people and property uh, within each state. Ken Kulkowski, always great to uh, to talk with you. You bring great clarity to these uh, big legal issues. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tony. God bless. You know, the, wis- the, the founders had great wisdom in the way they structured our, our system so that you do have these checks and balances. This is why we need to support good people at every level of government, local, state. It's so important. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue the border conversation. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin joins us next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. Uh, let me once again remind you, border 67742. Sign the petition to the Republican House leadership to stand firm on the border. And uh, speaking of that, as the uh, Senate's week in Washington concludes today, another week passes without the elusive text of a bipartisan border agreement. Now, as uh, we've been talking about, as the details of this proposed agreement have kind of dripped out, support for the combined border security and supplemental funding for Ukraine Well, the support for that's hemorrhaged among conservatives. What does that mean for border security and for Ukraine and Israel funding? Joining me now is Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He serves on the Senate Budget Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Johnson, welcome back to the program. Good to see you. Well, Tony, happy to be back. Good to see you. So on Monday, there was um, optimism that we'd see texts of a border security bill this week, but that eroded pretty quickly. Give us the latest. Well, leadership staff briefed our staff and laid out uh, the the broad uh, components of of the bill and simply have not been able to explain or answer our questions, the very legitimate questions uh, concerning our concerns about the bill, you know, how, how this could actually secure the border, how this would actually force the Biden administration, which is a lawless administration, to do so. Now, I, I will say, I, I really feel kind of bad for James Langford. He has been working his tail off. Uh, he's very knowledgeable about this. He, he gets along well with Democrats. He, he was the right person to try and negotiate this. Uh, the, the person who I think blew it was Leader McConnell. We, we had multiple conversations uh, in Senate lunches, uh, about the lawless administration and why we needed some kind of enforcement mechanism. Uh, my suggestion is it was actually a John Hoban's idea, but uh, my suggestion was let's tie Ukraine funding to border metrics. Uh, make sure that this administration has to meet certain thresholds as the money was being metered out uh, over a 12-month time period. Uh, that had a great deal of support in the conference. I'm not sure it was universal. There might have been some people that didn't like that. But uh, without Consulting the conference at all, Leader McConnell apparently told James Langford, as our negotiator, it's not even on the table. Don't even bring it up. 
And we've heard from the Democrat negotiators that uh, he didn't. And so that would have been our, our maximum uh, point of leverage to actually get a deal that would secure the border. There, there, there wouldn't be this Rube Goldberg uh, contraption that is being laid out for us right now that seems like it would normalize four to 5,000 uh, illegal immigrants per year. I mean, per, I mean I'm sorry, per day. Um, that's completely unacceptable. And again, the, the, the negotiators, leadership cannot, cannot refute uh, the concerns. Senator, actually, you brought that point up uh, weeks ago on this program, tying it to the metrics so that uh, there's accountability there. But also, is it not necessarily, I, I think you all actually brought this point up as well. It's not necessarily an, an absence of laws and policy that's needed. It's the enforcement of current laws. I mean, the border was pretty much secure in the final year of Donald Trump with the remain in Mexico policy. I mean, is it not just going back to revisiting what worked before? Yes. I mean, we, we have the laws on the book if they're actually enforced. If you had a president that wanted to uh, secure the border, which is why if you're going to do a deal with this president who wants an open border, who caused the problem. I mean, Joe Biden and his Democrat colleagues in Congress are the root cause of this problem. It's like trying to negotiate with the arsonists to put out the fire. Uh, so you, you actually have the authority. Now, uh, could there be things that we could pass in law that would make it easier, that uh, would make it very difficult to challenge certain actions in court? Absolutely. But apparently the Democrats aren't really trying to negotiate those provisions. They're trying to negotiate political cover. Uh, because Mayor Adams said uh, the, the 100,000 people in New York City are going to destroy the city. You have uh, mayor, uh, you know, the mayor of Chicago saying the same thing. So now the news media is having to report this. So there's political pressure on Democrats but again, they want an open border. They really don't want to vote for provisions that would, the, that would give us a secure border. They want political cover, which made it very difficult for James Langford. Right. And you, I think you made the point uh, yesterday in a press conference, or it was one of your colleagues, that if we allow, if this is allowed, this new standard of, you know, five to 10,000 illegals a day being able to come across the border, We've we've capitulated on on the the current law, and this could make the situation worse if you have a um, you know a, a president that's willing to enforce the law in the next administration. Yeah, the concern I had again, the thresholds that we're, as we're hearing is five thousand per day over seven days. That's that is mandatory that you have to shut down the border. I mean, I'm still asking them how do you do that. They haven't answered that question. But at four thousand, it's discretionary. My concern is if that would tie a president's hand who actually wants to shut it down at, let's say, 500 a day. Right. Uh, remember, uh, Jay Johnson said 1,000 people a day, first of all, it was a bad day for him, but it overwhelmed the system. Why aren't we setting the threshold at 1,000 and then shutting down the border? You know, not even accepting asylum claims, fingerprinting people and sending them home. That, that would work. Right. But four or 5,000, the, the cartels will meter that amount in here, and that's why I think we would normalize uh, a flow of illegal immigrants at four or five thousand days completely unacceptable. That's that's really the peak of President Trump's crisis. Uh, but that was only for a month, and then so over twelve months he brought it down to five hundred seventy a day. It's kind of like legalizing lawlessness uh, would be what the new standard would do. Uh, l let me uh, ask the next question then, because we've been hearing for weeks, actually before the end of the year of last year, that the supplemental funding for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan. I was going to be connected to the border security. 
if the border security provision is falling apart, Ukraine doesn't have a lot of support, what does that mean? Well, I think you just laid it out. I think it's going to be some, you know, some real trouble for people who want to provide uh, a support for Ukraine. I think most Americans do, but uh, they're not sure they want to just uh, you know, write another $60 billion blank check. Uh, what I would suggest, uh, if people really want to push that through, at a minimum, pay for it. You know, there's $400 billion of green energy boondoggle spending the Democrats passed under reconciliation. Uh, Goldman Sachs has an estimate that that would actually cost about $1.2 trillion. You know, why don't you at least start from the, the uh, standpoint that you're going to pay for any supplemental funding? You can also ask the question, what are we getting for $880 billion a year in defense spending? You know, why is everything an add-on? Why is right. everything supplemental? Yeah, good, 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 good question. I think that's the only way they're going to be able to move forward. Now, on the there is, I think, broader support for uh, the uh, small amount of money, thirteen billion for Israel. The House already passed that with the pay fors, offsetting that from the IRS new money. Will we see any movement in the Senate on that? It's been languishing over there for weeks. We should see movement. Again, this this is a perfect example of, you know, Democrats never compromise. Their, their view of compromise is for Republicans to cave, which in the past generally Republicans always have. It's their way or the highway. It's always been that way. You know, they're not willing to say, yeah, we, we also want to support uh, uh, Israel and, okay, we'll, we'll suck it up and, and we'll uh, reduce the funding for the IRS by $13, $14 billion. They just refuse to do that. Uh, hopefully public pressure will get them to change their mind. Uh, Senator Johnson, um, I want to switch gears here. You have been uh, the strongest uh, voice uh, bringing awareness to what is happening with the World Health Organization there in the Senate. Tedros uh, Ghebreyesus, the uh, the WHO's director general, was saying earlier this week that the pandemic accord, which you and I have talked about multiple times, that uh, the WHO has been working on for the last two years at, is at risk of failing because of fake news and uh, disinformation. And frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little encouraged by that because it tells me we're having an impact. Well, first of all, that's an explanation from, from a totalitarian. Um, we, we may be. I'll tell you, we're not getting much traction here in Congress. It's a partisan issue. You know, my, my amendment uh, on a bill uh, was completely partisan. Every Republican except for the bill sponsor voted for my amendment that would have deemed that uh, those amendments a treaty subject to ratification in the Senate, and every Democrat voted against that. Uh, so Democrats actually apparently want to give up U.S. sovereignty. Uh, it's maybe good news that this is being delayed a little bit. Uh, this will probably need a global lobbying effort. We, we need to get to, to other countries and let them realize, too, that their national sovereignty, their, their, their health freedom may be taken away from them in this very dangerous negotiation. So. Uh, this has got to be an all-out effort right now between now and when they, they bring this to a vote. Yeah, in May. But, but they're also they're, they're doing a full-court press to scare people into this. I want to play a clip of uh, Gabriel's last week at the World Economic Forum where he had uh, this to say, uh, not only about the agreement, but kind of their latest scare tactic. The other key in order to have better prepared and to address the disease X is the pandemic agreement. The pandemic agreement can bring all the experience, all the challenges that we have faced, and all the solutions into one. And 
that agreement can help us to prepare for the future in, in a better way, because this is about a common enemy. So I don't know if you, you caught that. Uh, he's hard to understand. But disease X is something that they have now introduced. Now, it, it, it's a make-believe fictional disease, but they're, su they're suggesting that it's 20 times greater in terms of its impact than COVID-19. I mean, this looks like a scare tactic. It's a total scare tactic. You know, Eisenhower in his uh, farewell address uh, warned us about four things. The final thing is he talked about we cannot let global society fall into a state of dreadful fear and hate. But we've seen that with the, you know, it's climate change. It's scare the you-know-what out of people uh, so that you can gain greater control. They did the pandemic, and now that the pandemic has passed uh, and all their measures weren't uh, completely adopted, uh, now they've got to make up disease X with a 20% mortality rate. I mean, this is sick, but this is what tyrants do. They, they control people. They take away your freedom based on a state of fear, of dreadful fear. And we know from history that people will surrender fundamental freedoms when they are motivated and moved by fear. And I think it's, it's, it's a great parallel that you make with climate change. I mean, that's what we're told. We've got to give up. We've got to give up national sovereignty. We've got to give up a quality of life because we, uh, you know, we're, we have this carbon footprint. Only certain people have to give it up. Uh, I mean, the, the next thing, I mean, it could be, uh, you know, the planet could be targeted by an asteroid. So what are we going to have to surrender uh, for them to protect the planet from an asteroid? The reality is we know that the World Health Organization, and you've spoken to this very clearly, was totally inept in COVID-19. So why would we give them more power? Well, again, look at how much freedom was, was taken away and given up during the pandemic. And you have to understand the pandemic in the end, the infection fatality rate was very similar to flu. You know, you know we, we have a flu season every year and elderly people are vulnerable to it. People with certain comorbidities are vulnerable to it, just like they were to coronavirus. But we destroyed people's lives. We took away their freedom, uh, shut down churches, but kept liquor stores open. It is shocking how, how people complied. That's how effective uh, fear is in the hands of a tyrant or tyrants. So, so Senator, final question here for you. What, what's their end game? What, what are they after here at the World Health Organization with this pandemic accord? A new world order, a total control. Uh, a, a borderless world. I mean, that's that's part of the strategy behind it, an open border here in America. You know, we 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 have a land of plenty of opportunity. The rest of the world doesn't. Let the rest of the world in. Uh, that's their mindset. They want power. They want control. You know, you will own nothing, but you will be happy. That's basically their their rallying cry. It's sick. It's frightening. That that is something to actually fear: the loss of your freedom. Uh, I'm just begging everybody, jealously guard your freedom, because there are a lot of people, a lot of tyrants, uh, and we, they're in the news, and they're in leadership positions that want to take your freedom away. And the only thing standing in the way are freedom-loving Americans. Absolutely. Senator Ron Johnson, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time uh, to spend with us today. Stay well. Take care. All right. Senator Ron Johnson of uh, Wisconsin. Uh, I, I just want to put an exclamation point on on what he had to say. And we've been talking. And I, I, first off, I want to say thank you to our viewers and listeners who have responded so well 
on this issue of WHO. We have been tracking this uh, very, very closely and will continue to do so. But we need you to weigh in on this. We need to get the United States out of the World Health Organization. Yes, we can defund it. Uh, That's what Congress can do. You know, President Trump, former President Trump, he pulled us out. He was getting us out of this mess. Of course, uh, under the current administration, we're in with all fours. And um, I, I just, again, this is a matter of prayer because I do believe, as he talked about, this is a new world order. I think this is what we read in Revelation. This is the precursor. This is at the tip of the spear of globalization, global government. And if you look at and read this pandemic agreement, this accord, this is what it sets the stage for. It will, and, and, and this is why, you know, Tedros is so, uh, you know, oh, fake news. Don't believe what you're hearing. It's because people are exposing what they're doing. We're exposing what they're doing. This is a global power grab, and we can't let it happen. So we're going to continue to track this. I need you to weigh in on this with your members of Congress and tell them to get the United States out of the World Health Organization. Also, as we were talking with the senator, the border issue. So text BORDER to 67742. All right, folks, out of time for today, but I want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 